Well, good morning, church. Grateful to be with you here at our online service. Welcome to Providence North Online. Uh, we are continuing in our series that we are calling Doctrine, where we're looking at foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. Um, so we've looked at the Word of God. We've looked at the Trinity. Um, we've looked at uh, the revelation of God given to us, how we can be sure that he has spoken to us, a God that speaks, a God that is in community. And today we're going to be looking at how God has made us in his image. And so we'll start with this very um, just basic statement is that uh, you and I, if you were watching this um, on YouTube or on Facebook or on our website, uh, we are human beings. Um, and so that very question, in fact, unfortunately and surprisingly, has even come under attack in our day and age, in our culture that we find ourselves in. The fact that we are human, that we are made. And so the question at hand is, what does it mean to be human? Um, what does it mean that we are humanity? What does it mean to be a man or a woman? Um, and so many of you are philosophical people. I've talked to you and you sort of delve into those questions and you sort of look in the mirror in the morning and you ask those deep fundamental questions of who am I, right? Who is this in the mirror that's ruining my life every day, right? With your thoughts and actions. And so those deep philosophical questions of who am I? Why am I here? How was I made? Um, are important ones. And how you define humanity and how you define what it means to be a human affects everything in life. It affects all of our life. It underscores philosophy. It underscores uh, sociology. It underscores history and politics and marriage and, uh, and parenting and friendship. Um, what makes us human uh, informs all of those things. It's a huge, huge question. Um, it's one of the most important foundational questions uh, that can be answered. What does it mean to be a human being? Um, very philosophical this morning, right? Historically, this is an enormous issue, and it continues to be an enormous issue. Uh, we are in a cultural divide that is questioning that very thing, that what it means to be human is subjective and it's not defined. And so, therefore, we have culturally a lot of outworkings in our society of um, that question being answered in largely new ways that have never been answered in that way in the history of mankind. And it's causing... Um, uh, some upheaval, certainly. Um, and so quickly, what I want to do at the front end of this, as we look at uh, the doctrine of the image of God, made in God's image, the fact that God loves us and has made us in his image, I want to take sort of a historical sweep of how we have historically answered that question and where we are today. Um, 
because without context and without an understanding of where we are today, we have a hard time really framing that question. Maybe you've never asked that question, or maybe you don't know how we've gotten to the answers that we have today. So let's quickly do a historical sweep of how we have historically answered that question, how we answer that question, and how many answer that question today um, of what it means to be a human. Um, now, up until the day, or in the early days, there was a man named Augustine. He is an early church father. Uh, and most of people before Augustine would have seen their identity in their humanity as being rooted in relationships, right? Meaning you're, uh, what it means to be human is that you're part of a family, meaning that you're part of a lineage, you're part of a community or a, a place, a state, a nation, a people. So that would have primarily defined who you are as a human being is that your proximity and your connection to relationships. Now, certainly that's still true today. So you would see yourself uh, in times before Augustine says, what it means to be a human is that, that I am in relationship with other people. In Augustine, he wrote something uh, early, real early in the church, in the life of the church called the Confessions. And he started to look at himself as an individual. Uh, uh, as an individual, and he wrote about his inner life and his um, his identity was not just defined by his circle of relationships, but rather his own internal identity that was given to him by God. That there was an, there was an inner life, there was an inner working that, uh, the God of heaven had placed into him, and that is what made him a human being. And this led to the concept of the Western world of being an autonomous individual, um, that we aren't so, just so defined by who we are around that makes us a human, but yet internally, uh, God has placed into us something uh, that we are an autonomous individual. And some years later, uh, Rene Descartes, a French Christian mathematician and philosopher, kind of built upon this idea from Augustine of being an autonomous individual, of this inner self, this inner identity. And he said this famous statement, I think, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. And he was also trying to answer this question of what does it mean to be a human? So Augustine, he said, we're individuals. And Descartes said, hey, we're not just individuals. Yes, we are. But we are individuals with rational minds. We can think. Uh, we can reason. Our brain, our thoughts, the fact that we can um, rationally think through complex things is what makes us human. I think, therefore, I am, Descartes says. Building upon that idea of the rational mind, so we've got uh, the, the fact that we have an inner life that God has given to us, that God has given to us a mind, and that we're rational, we can think, that is what makes us human. A man named Jonathan Edwards comes on the scene, a great Puritan thinker, a brilliant uh, theologian, and he said that we are individuals, yes, we are individuals with rational minds, yes, but our rational minds can be changed. They can be transformed. They can be redeemed and saved 
by the transforming power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace. And so we are individuals. God gives us individual identities and freedoms. We have a rational mind that can think and can reason. And God and his grace and sovereignty allows our thoughts and minds to be transformed and changed and converted by the intervention of God's grace. And therefore, we can be improved by God's grace. We can uh, better ourselves by God's grace. We can live as children of God by God's transforming power of grace in our lives. That was Jonathan Edwards. So we are an individual with a mind and God's grace. And with these things, we can thrive in the kingdom of God. Um, and then, so we lived in, in, in that place for many, many years as the church and as sort of the Western world as we know it. And then this leads to Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And Jean-Jacques Rousseau says, yes, you are an individual. Yes, you have a rational mind. But Rousseau says, you don't really need God's grace to help you. Um, in fact, God is a figment of your imagination. So you, in fact, don't need to look outward to find the grace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ to transform your individual mind and your sinful flesh to find the way of God. You don't need that at all. You actually, um, Rousseau says, you need to just look inward, look deeply inside of yourself, and you will find the power you need in and of yourself to change yourself. Okay? Um, you're not a sinner in need of the grace of Jesus. Rousseau said, you're fundamentally a really good person. And you just need to find that goodness way down deep. And when you find that, you hold on to it and it will change you and transform you. You yourself have the power you need inside of you to change yourself. You don't need God's love. Instead, you need to love yourself. Um, you don't need God's acceptance through the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You need to accept yourself as you are and forgive yourself. That's Rousseau. That sounds very familiar. So we don't need God. We just need to love and accept ourselves for who we are. We don't need to think so negatively that we're sinners and need in need of a savior, right? That's modern day... Um, 1900s um, thoughts of what makes you a human. Fast forward to the early 1900s, a man came, comes on the scene and his name is William James. Uh, William James is considered the father of American psychology. He's an American uh, psychologist. And he says this, he says, well, it's building upon Rousseau. He says, not only are you a pretty good person, um, and the answers of life are found way down deep within you, but you don't need God at all. You don't even need to consider God. Um, what you need and the power that you need, yes, it's found in yourself, and you're just you're at your core really good, but you also need next to you not God above 
but you need a highly trained and specialized psychologist or therapist. That's what you need to thrive. That's what you need to be rewired and made right. Um, you don't need God, he would, he would essentially say. You need me, or you need someone like me to talk to. You don't need God to meet with you and walk with you and shepherd you and lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. You need me. You need a therapist to walk with you. You don't need God to speak to you. You need to come to my office and I need to speak to you. You don't need God to assess you. You need me to assess you. And that's the assumption uh, of this modern form of thought is that human beings or the human mind is like a machine. And machines sometimes break down. Machines sometimes need reworking. And so you need the right person the right specialized, trained person to fix and reorient your mind. Um, to tinker and to find that which is broken and fix you. Now, I will say this. Um, this may sound against therapy or counseling. I am not against therapy or counseling or even psychology. Uh, but in its modern form, outside of Christian gospel counseling, therapy omits God entirely. Uh, that's its function. Uh, God in the Bible is called our great counselor. Uh, in fact, Jesus says to us as his children uh, that or, or the Bible calls Jesus our wonderful counselor, mighty God. Right? And so we, we need counselors and therapists who are under the authority of the great, wonderful counselor, the Lord Jesus. And we need counselors and therapists not to say, you don't need God, you need me. We need them to say, your most basic need, fundamental need, greatest need is that God would walk with you. And we need therapists and counselors to point us to God and to our wonderful counselor, Jesus. And so we are not at all against counseling and therapy. Um, but I am leery of the modern day form of it that says you don't need God at all. You just need a good counselor. Um, we need counselors pointing us to Jesus. Um, but this counseling without God and without Jesus and is actually void of an acknowledgement of human sin. Um, and this throughout American history has propagated this idea of finding someone else that you can talk to or that you can listen to or that you can talk at that is your functional savior. Um, we are, our podcast feeds are full of these people uh, who are going to tell you how your life is to be transformed and saved and it is void of God. It is void of the grace of the Lord Jesus. Um, don't go to Jesus to get your life together. Go to a professional. And this leads to um, Abraham Maslow, which came up with Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You may have heard of this. Very popular, which if you remember at the very top of the triangle of Maslow's hierarchy of needs is what? The greatest need you have, according to Maslow, according to this psychological sort of pyramid of 
The human mind is the greatest thing a human being can achieve and get to is not to glorify God, which the Bible tells us to do, but it's to glorify yourself. Maslow calls it self-actualization. That is the highest form of humanity at the top of the pyramid, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that you would be a self-actualized human, that you would live to your greatest full potential, that you would rework your mind, that you would make as much money as possible, you would be as powerful as possible, you would be as successful as possible, you would lose the trappings of your negative thoughts and your negative tendencies, and you would find within and rise to the occasion and be the very best you you can be right? Be all you can be. Um, and this leads to our current culture, where we're at today. And there's a man named Christian Smith. He's a sociologist. He is currently a professor of sociology at the University of Notre Dame, a PhD there, brilliant man, studied man, and he came up with this term. Um, he came up with the term moralistic therapeutic deism. You may have heard of this term. Moralistic therapeutic deism. Christian Smith coined this term and coined this idea. And he says, this is the current religion in America today. This is how most of us view religion and humanity today. Moralistic, meaning you just got to be a good person. You know, just... Do the best you can. You're just a person, so be moral. You're capable of rational moral thoughts, so be a moral person. Choose to be moral. Therapeutic, uh, meaning God is a big therapist in the sky, looking down on you, and deism. And this God is far, far, far away from you. He is way up above, and you are way down here uh, where the rubber meets the road. And so God isn't really there to help you. Occasionally, he will slingshot down some encouragement to you, right? And you can slingshot up a couple things to him and he might hear you. The occasional prayer. And if you're lucky, he could answer you. But for the most part, you're on your own. Um, and you're in charge of fixing yourself and being moral. You're in charge of loving yourself, Um you're in charge of saving yourself. You're in charge of transforming yourself because basically you're a good person and you have what it takes to succeed and achieve and arrive and make it. Does this sound familiar? Um, I tell you all of that and I give you that sweep of American or really historical uh, psychology and sociology and therapy because we end in that place of moralistic, therapeutic deism, and that's the world in which you and I grew up in. Um, be as good as you can. God is the therapist in the sky, and he's far, far away, and you're on your own, so you best figure it out as best you can. You have the tools inside of you to uh, grab life by the horns and make the best of it. Um, and unfortunately, that's where we find ourselves. And the result of all of this thinking, the result of all of these, um, all of these different forms of thinking is that we live currently in a culture 
of tremendous confusion about who we are as human beings. We live in a culture of tremendous confusion about who we are as men and women and children and people of society. We live in a culture of, um, I'll say, despair and pride. Confusion, despair, and pride. Pride in that we think we're really great and we have everything necessary just within us. We don't need to look outside of ourselves to get it unless it's from your therapist, but we have it all within us. We don't need God at all. So we're, we're people of great pride. But we also see, um, when we're honest, great despair amongst us as a people. Um, tremendous despair. And many of us don't know what to do. We don't know where to turn. We find life to be hopeless. We find um, very little meaning. We find um, almost a dystopian type of understanding of who we are as people. Uh, that's especially true in a global pandemic, right? Let's turn on the news. So what does the Bible say about the origin of life? What does the Bible say to you and I about what it means to be human? Uh, Genesis chapter 1 and 2 tell us this, that we are created by God. Um, Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, so we've got a God who speaks, very beginning. He said, let us, here we see the Trinity, the very beginning. God said, let us, he's referring to himself as us in the plural, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There we saw the Trinity. If you want to know more about the Trinity, listen for from a few weeks ago. Let us make man, that's mankind, not just men, man, mankind, men and women, in our, again, there's the Trinity image, after our likeness. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. The Bible says that we are created beings made in the image and the likeness of God himself. And you and I as people, as men and women, as children, as all humanity bear the image and the likeness of God. Now there's a lot of debate on are those two things different, the image and likeness? I believe those are talking about the very same thing. We bear the image and the likeness of God himself. And then God says, um, let them, meaning let these that I have made, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now up until this point, remember, God said that he would make this, he would make something, and then he said he would make the other animals after their own kind in creation. In the days of creation, as he does that, as he makes animals, he makes more in their own kind. And here we see God makes us not after a kind of animal, but in his image, in his likeness, in the image and likeness of God. We are image bearers of God. He goes on to say this in Genesis 1.27. 
So he created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So, male and female proceed from God. Right? We see that in his created order. Male and female made equal in the image and then in the likeness of God. So, in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning, there is no chauvinism. It's not men are better than women. And there's no feminism. It's not women are better than men. He creates them on purpose with differences, but equal as image bearers of God. Both man and women, men and women, bear the image of God. And as such, both equally share the same emotions, though they work them out differently. Right? We could do... 27 weeks on that concept alone, but we won't because I'm no expert in that. And then we read verse 28 after God speaking and making, and it says this, and God blessed them. So here we see a loving relationship from God above as he creates and makes men and women in his likeness, and he blesses them, both of them. Grace and kindness and affection toward men and women. And then he speaks to us. Um, because we are made in his image and likeness, God then communicates to us. He doesn't do this with the animals. He does that with us. Because we are made in his image and God is in perfect community with one another as the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're made in his image. He makes man and woman. And so he communicates to us. And he says this in 128, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every, every living thing that moves on the earth. In verse 29, and God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit, you shall have them for food, verse 30, and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heaven and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and so it was so. God said, I have made creation and I prepared it as a gift for you. So the earth is yours. He says, have dominion over it. Use it. Be a good steward of it. Take care of it. Cultivate it as you have need. And then in verse 31, and God saw everything he made and behold, it was very good. Very good. There was no sin, there was no death, there were no tears. And Genesis chapter 1, as you read it, is a panoramic scope of creation. You're given this broad view of creation. And then Genesis 2 tells that story again. So if you notice, Genesis 1 is a creation narrative, so is Genesis 2. But Genesis 1 as the panoramic and Genesis 2 
narrows in and zeroes in and looks at particular, the particular creation of man and woman. And then in Genesis 3, which we're going to get to next week, the serpent joins the story. Uh, and we have a lot of ruined things as a result. But Genesis 2 sort of dives in and looks even more closely at who we are as humanity, what it means to be human. Genesis 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Um, how did God create the rest of creation? He spoke. How did God create man? He formed and he breathed. We have a very personal involvement with God in the making of humanity, of you and I. He breathed life into us. He breathed a soul into us, a spirit into us. God is spirit, right? God isn't uh, uh male or female, he's spirit. He's depicted and described as he in the Bible, um, but he's spirit. And here God is giving us spirit because we are made in his image and likeness. Both men and women get this. Genesis 2, 8, 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden and in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant in the sight and good for food. And the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. So before sin, before the fall, we have work in the Bible. Work is not sinful. Uh, it's one of the ways that we worship God with our work. Once we sin, work becomes complex and works, work becomes difficult. But work in and of itself is not sinful. God creates us and gives us work to do, to cultivate, to steward that which is given to us to have dominion over to be good stewards, to be responsible, to be um, present with the created order around us. Genesis 2.16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of any tree in the garden. So man is moral. God speaks to us a moral commandment of what uh, we can and can't do, and we understand it, and we can choose to obey or not. Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day you eat it, you will surely die. The New Testament describes it this way, the wages of sin is death. Uh, that's from the very beginning. The wage of sin, disobedience to the word of God, the spoken command of God is death. Eat all that you want. I've given you all of this to subdue except this one thing. And if you do that, you will sin and you will die. Genesis 2.18 And then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Um, remember Genesis 1, chapter right before, very beginning, 31. He said, he created everything and he said it was very good. But there was one thing that was not good, as revealed here in Genesis 2. It's, it's not sin, 
yet. He doesn't. He's not calling that out. But it's not good for this man that I've made to be alone. So we have man, we have God above him, and we have creation beneath him to subdue and to cultivate, but he does not have anyone next to him. Man does not have anyone near him. He has no peer. He has no friend. He has no lover. He has no helper. And God is going to redeem that. He's going to fix that. He says, I will make a helper fit for him. And that's his wife. Um, guys need help. This is clear in the Bible. Um, this is not, uh, many women bristle at this, a helper, right? It's, it's, it's not uh, a title that, that sometimes is received well. Uh, but this is not a less than title. This is a title that the title helper is words in the Bible that are given to God himself. That God is our helper. Um, the Holy Spirit of God and the Trinity is called our helper. It's a good, beautiful word. It's a redemptive word. It's a good word. It's a word used to describe God himself on many, 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 many occasions all throughout Scripture. Genesis 2.19 Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he could call them. And whenever the man called every living creature, that was his name. And the man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the beasts of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on him. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up in its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So here, this beautiful picture of creation, God makes woman out of the side of the man. Um, she is not out in front of the man as feminism would tell us. She is not behind the man as chauvinism uh, would depict and would teach. She is beside him as equal in value and worth as an image bearer of God together next to one another under God as the scriptures in the Bible tell us. That's the picture of men and women together in the scriptures. Not man out in front, not women out in front, not man behind, not women behind the man, together under God, subduing creation and cultivating together as equal image bearers of God. Um, and then the man said, Genesis 2 tells us. So here, we're given. This is amazing. Track with me. We're almost done. I know this is a little bit long. We're given the first recorded words of a human being in the Bible. And it's a man speaking to the woman. It's a big moment. She was just made. Can you imagine this moment? God brings her to the man after he wakes up from his sleep. Uh, he did nothing to create her. He just receives this goodness that God has done as the creator and brings this woman to the man. And what does Adam do here? What are the very first words? It's not just words, it's song. The first thing 
the first recorded words of any human being in recorded history, according to the scriptures, is a song. And Adam looks at her and he sings this, this at last, like praise God, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. In the original Hebrew language, this rhymes. It's a song, it's poetry. He sings to her. Um, one pastor and author notes that before the fall, when everything is right and before the fall of sin enters the fray, um, you don't notice anyone just talking. Everyone's singing to each other. It's like Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall is like one big musical because it, it's just so beautiful and it's um, perfect and it's um, pre-fall singing, right? So I think that's why my wife loves musicals, right? It's hardwired into her that we, everyone should just be singing to her and everything is good and wonderful and true. Pre-fall was a great a great time. So Adam sings to Eve, loving and caring. And so we have man and woman created in God's image. So practically, what does this mean? Here at the close, what does this mean for us? It means that we have moral likeness to God, that we have moral decision-making, that we have dominion over the earth, that men and women are created equally in the image of God to be image bearers of God. We are distinctly created differently as a man and as a woman. That identity is given to us by God in created order, but we are equals that play these things out as differently because of our gender. So we have great effect on our environment around us because God has given to men and women dominion over the earth. We have responsibility in that. We have social ability because God speaks to us and God gives us the ability to speak to one another. We can write, we can communicate, we can speak, we have emotions, we have intellect, we have reason, we can think, we can learn, we have created ability, we can appreciate the arts. And all of this comes out of what's called the Imago Dei, that we are created in the image of God. The Imago Dei, the image of God. And next week, we're going to get to the fact that because of sin, all of these things that we are given responsibility and dominion over are warped now because of sin. And God in redemptive history through Jesus Christ, our Lord, is working at reordering creation back to that which it should be. Reworking our hearts and our minds by God through Jesus Christ, not just through therapy, not just from picking ourselves up by our bootstraps, not just found with, within, but God through Jesus Christ is going to take that which is most beautiful, that which we are created for, that which we are made for, that which we are given purpose in, that define us as humanity and give us hope and give us purpose and order. God is reordering and rerouting and remaking us into his image through Jesus our Lord, through grace and through mercy and through hope. And because of the Imago Dei, because of all of these things we've looked at, um, all of life matters. That's why we stand for the unborn. 
That's why we say that those that are uh, struggle with mental illness, their lives are valuable and they matter. That's why those that are physically ill, that are uh, in a vegetative state, their lives still matter because they bear the image of God. Everyone bears the image of God, Christian or non-Christian. And so all life matters. All life is sacred. And we as believers, we have given, been, been revealed and given the hope of Christ, get to talk and get to share the good news of the gospel of our hope of redeeming the broken pieces that resulted in the fall through the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus and him remaking us in the very image of God, how he so hopes we might be. The story of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption. So we're in the middle of this redemption through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We just looked at creation. Next week, we're going to look at the fall. Then we're going to go into redemption. I hope you'll join us. Um, let's pray together this morning. Lord, thanks for your word. Thank you that you've made us in the image of God. Thank you that um, we are not left here alone just to figure it out from within us, but you've given us something outside of us to root and ground us and give us hope and purpose. And God, I pray we would cling to you, that we would love you, we would honor you, and that we would serve you, and that we would find the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to redeem and to come in and to fix and to heal the brokenness that we find in ourselves. And you would do the work only you can do. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.